I leave for one week. And uh, suddenly I'm married to Joe Dirt, and my four-year-old girl has a mustache. We have a very uh, creative, creative arts department. Uh, my wife doesn't need to shave, okay? I just need to tell you that for her sake and for the record. If you're a woman who does need to shave, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, my, I'm just, just kidding. Oh... Uh, well, this, this is us is um, a series that's really important for us, and it's coming straight from the scriptures. It's really easy for us as, as followers of Jesus, uh, the church, to kind of drift away from what God really intended for us uh, to be as his bride, as the church. Um, you, you, you pass a handful of centuries and uh, it's really easy to just start to kind of drift and, and we're uh, accustomed and, and aware of what the church in 2018, uh, looks like in America. Um, but, but is it, is it really still doing or being what it should be doing according to God and his word? Uh, because God forbid that we're a group of people, uh, followers of Jesus that are not, uh, living out uh, what, what God intended for us. In Romans chapter 12, you have your Bible, you can open up there because that's where we're going to be. We're going to be there for a few weeks. But we're just going verse by verse uh, through a handful of, of, of verses each time that we gather through this chapter in Romans because it's such a jam-packed, succinct uh, summary of uh, who we are to be as followers of Jesus. Um, Pastor John kicked it off last week in the first two verses, and we're just reminded that we're supposed to live a life of worship. Worship is not just the songs that we sing, but it is everything that we uh, say and do in here and outside of here. We're, we're supposed to be ones that are living a constant life of sacrifice uh, for the glory of God. We're not to conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed as God gets a hold of our minds. And then we'll be able to figure out what God's will is and then walk in his will. And that's, that's the great place for us to, to start. But th this is us right here. Or maybe you're watching online and you're, you're us. You're, you're a part of us. You're a follower of Jesus. Uh, you, you are, you are a, a normal person. Uh, we're all normal people. We're all created by God in the image of God, every single one of you. But then some of us later have been rescued by Jesus from our sin. And then later we're, we're given some gifts. You got a relationship with Jesus, then you are uh, supernaturally gifted. You're, you're spiritually gifted. God gave you certain gifts superpowers. Yeah, you. Me and you got superpowers. Now, we, we are, are given those gifts uh, so that we can use those superpowers, put them to use uh, in our church and in our community. There's something that God does in and through us supernaturally uh, that should be a blessing to other people and show people what God's like. Very, very cool. And yet, just because we got superpowers, does it mean that we, we don't ever get tired? Does it mean that life is just a piece of cake because we're superheroes? 
No. We get tired. There's times where we go, I don't know if I got what it takes to pull this off. I don't know if I can handle all this. The spiritual battle out there is pretty intense and I'm not really sure I can pull this off and, you, and you'd be right. We're, we're in a, um, I have any superhero friends, uh, just not friends, but I mean, you, you're on to the superhero train uh, that we're all a part of right now. We, okay, this is going to work great. Three people. Um, <laughs> we're obsessed with superheroes right now, right? Uh, they crank out a new superhero movie about every two and a half minutes. And uh, there's, you know, Superman part 14 and Avengers part 39 is just about to come out. That's, that's what we're all into. But you know, right, that um, they're not real. I mean, I like to think that they're real, but they're, they're just normal people who are actors, right? Uh, the original uh, kind of, if you boil down the Avengers, for example, to the original first few, um, here's, here's the original actors. Um, you, you have the one that plays Hawkeye and Black Widow and Iron Man and then the cute one and then uh, the one that plays the Hulk and then Captain America and, and Thor is, is the cute one. And so these are real people, normal people. Um, and then though they step into their role as, as superheroes, uh, the, the Avengers, and when they, they step into the costume, they step into the role, and uh, they are now in action. And so these people get transformed into these people. That's very cool. Okay? Normal people uh, then uh, stepping into a, a, a role of a superhero. Now, each of these superheroes, they've got uh, different sorts of gifting, um, the, the gifts that Thor has are different than the gifts that Hawkeye has. And the gifts that uh, Scar uh, Black Widow has is, is different than Iron Man has. You get that. But you know as well as I do, if you've, especially if you've seen the movies, they're way better together. Because when they get in the jam, uh, the enemy comes and, and you know, wallops on them. Uh, they can always find the chink in the armor of one of them. But that's then where the others come together. Uh, these superheroes, they still need each other. But one of my favorite scenes in any of the Avengers movies is the ending scene after the credits in the first Avengers movie. They have just defeated the enemy. I mean, thousands of these weird aliens have come. I mean, they've fought for like 30 minutes straight in just the movie and, and, and won. And afterward, they're tired and they're hungry. So they go get some shawarma at a shawarma joint in New York City. And the closing scene of these superheroes after fighting and winning this major battle is this scene. They're just wiped out, weary. The battle has taken its toll. I love that because this is so real life, right? Uh, you, you still got to eat. You get tired. Are they, because they're wiped out and tired, uh, are they no longer superheroes? No, they're still superheroes even here, but they're not God. And you get the distinction 
there's, there's kind of a fine line of humility that you and I walk as people of God, as followers of Jesus to say, hey, I, I, I was made by God and then later rescued by God and then gifted supernaturally by God. You've got some gifts, some superpowers to be put to use for his kingdom. But does that make everything go perfectly well in your life? No. And does the fact that you've uh, got a superpower or two, spiritually speaking, mean that you are equal to or higher than God? No way. And it takes humility to understand that fine line. We're in a massive humility swing in our culture today. There's an interesting swing going on where we have begun to uh, make a whole lot of ourself and yet at the same time make very, very little of God or truth. And it's kind of the opposite of the way that it used to be. Uh, there's a guy named G.K. Chesterton that was a theologian. Uh, lived in England, late 1800s, early 1900s. And he was a writer, and he actually influenced a lot of uh, what C.S. Lewis would go on to write. And uh, he, he said this, back in the early 1900s, G.K. Chesterton said this, what we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition Modesty has settled upon the organ of conviction where it was never meant to be. Here's what he's saying. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. Nowadays, the part of a man that man does assert is exactly the part he ought not assert himself. The part he doubts is exactly the part he ought not to doubt, the divine reason or God. The old humility made a man doubtful about his efforts, which might make him work harder. But the new humility makes a man doubtful about his aims, which makes him stop working altogether. We are on the road to producing a race of man too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. That's early 1900s. How much farther along are we now over a century later where now we exalt ourselves way, way up and God way, way down. We can't, and there's no absolute truth. What's good for you? Just do you. And yet we're, we're, we're missing the real humility that God has for us. We're missing the real truth in, in the midst of this whitewash. And we got to have humility with regard to our, ourselves and with regard to God. Um, in Romans chapter 12, verse three. So right after the opening that we looked at last week, then Paul turns the corner and zeroes in more on this is who we are. This is us as the church. In Romans chapter 12, verse three, Paul says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment 
in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul's just saying, okay, you can kind of follow my example because God gave me a whole bunch of grace. And if you know Paul's story, then God gave him a tremendous amount of grace. He's this religious psycho and he's, he's killing all sorts of people that follow Jesus, arrogant uh, uh, to the t- highest order, yet he received the grace of God and that, that transformed his life, it transformed his heart, it transformed his actions. He said, I received grace, I just want to put it on your radar that God's grace is available for you and so just remember, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Humility. But rather, he says, think of yourself with sober judgment. A a good working definition for humility is, is this. Humility is just an accurate view of yourself in relation to God. Humility is an accurate view of yourself in relation to God and to other people. Humility says, uh, I, I, I understand that I am made in the image of God, that in Christ I, I've been given supernatural gifts that can benefit other people, but I am not God. Humility doesn't think too low of yourself. Humility doesn't mean that you have to walk around uh, with self-hatred and self-loathing and always beating yourself up. That's not humility. That's because that's not how God sees you. So why would you think of yourself lower than what God thinks about you? Don't do it. Humility is also not thinking too highly of yourself. That's called pride. Humility is this fine line, sometimes difficult to find in, in the middle, that says, I understand who I am in relation to God. I'm not him, but I'm not a slug. I've got a purpose. I got a mission. I've been gifted and given some things that are, are for a huge reason. I've been placed here on planet earth, wired up the way I am for a specific reason. Verse four and five. For just as each one of us has one body with many members. Okay, you tracking with me? You've got one body and yet you've got uh, arms and legs, you've got eyes and ears, you've got fingers and toes. Okay, one body, but different parts. And these parts, members, do not all have the same function, right? The eye doesn't do the same thing that your foot does, right? Uh, So in Christ... Though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This is us, the church, our people who are in Christ, been rescued by Jesus. And we have been given these different gifts. And although there are multiple people, there's multiple parts. We are here to make up one body. And it is the body of Christ. It's, a, it's meant to be in our church and in our community a tangible representation of the body of Jesus. To meet us 
collectively should be to get a better picture of what Jesus is like. That's what it should be. But the thought that jumped out at me that, 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 that Paul makes here that hit me right between the eyes is the last phrase there. Each member belongs to all the others. Did, did you come in with that perspective today? That you belong to each other in here? You belong to the person in front of you and the person behind you and the person to the left and your right? See, this is what separates us, the church, from people who shop at Walmart or people who shop at Target. None of you would walk into Walmart every single week, week in, week out, and walk in and go, I belong to Walmart. <laughs> if you do, we have counselors available after all five services. You, 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 you attend, you, you visit, you shop at, you're, you're some of the clientele of Walmart or Target or your favorite restaurant. But you, you don't belong there. The church is a place where people should belong uh, to, to God and find a sense of belonging, but also uh, to each other. And you're going right now, I don't, I don't want to belong to the person behind me or in front of me. I don't even want to belong to the person that's sitting next to me. I, I get that. But the church is a group of people who all belong to each other. And, and newsflash, it's not just that all of you belong to me. It's mutual. You belong to each other. I belong to you as much as you belong to me. And I would die to see a community of people who love Jesus be a community, a place where anyone can find a sense of belonging. We've got a desperate need for belonging as human beings. And there are some communities in our culture who do a way better job at affording belonging than the church. I think most people, they, 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 they want all the benefits of belonging without the work that comes with belonging. Because we can make this just like a church that's like Walmart or Target where you just show up and you consume the product that we have for you and then you leave. That's not the church that Jesus died to create and that certainly does not take this into account because there's no belonging that takes place. And God wants us to have a sense of belonging, create a sense of belonging, and be aware that we belong to the people around us. That when there's a need here, that we would help fill it. When there's a need out in our community 
Or when you are out in your community, I, I just heard somebody this, this morning came up and said, yeah, somebody, I, I'm, I'm a single mom and somebody came down my road and, uh, and ran over my mailbox and knocked it over. And it's right in the middle of me going through all this surgery and health stuff. And now I've got to deal with a broken uh, uh, mailbox out front. And thank God she called the church and, and I don't even know who it was, but somebody just in the congregation, we connected dots and somebody went over and fixed her mailbox. Now that's, that's small for them, but that's huge for her. It's because we belong to each other. People, people need you. You might be sitting here going, well, I, I, don't, I don't need anybody else. Okay. I don't believe that. But did you ever stop to consider that somebody might need you here or in our community? We belong to each other. And you can see, right, where the, the comparison game when you get this many people in a room, if there's humility here, humility brings people together. Pride rips people apart. Humility creates a sense of belonging where pride, it just separates people. And when you, you get into the comparison game, looking around, you can go onto social media and you log in just for a couple of minutes. I've been off Facebook for like a decade. I came back on this year. I can't stand it. I, it's, it's just too overwhelming. There's too much going on. Everybody's posturing. And you got Snapchat and UFace and MyTube and all these sorts of things. And I, <laughs> you go on and I guarantee you, you log on for like three minutes to any one of those. And one of two things is going to happen. You will begin to compare yourself to other people's fake lives that they're putting on this digital universe. And you look and you go, ooh, I can find a whole bunch of people that are better than me. Oh, he looks better. She looks better. Oh, they got to meet him. Oh, they got to go there this weekend. They didn't. They photoshopped it in and made it look like it. You... <laughs> But you're back there, you go, oh man, there's all everybody else is better than me. Or you look around and you go, ooh, that selfie didn't come out good at all. <laughs> they look nasty right there. I feel better about myself. Oh, my profile page is so much better. My life is, one of two things happens when you start doing the comparison game. Either you end up depressed or you end up prideful and arrogant. That's why God's word says don't do it. Neither option is good. You walk in humility, it's a whole different ball game. It draws people to the real you, not the fake you, and it draws people together. And that's what God's fashioned the church to be. He goes on in verses six through eight and says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith, the Greek uh, says the faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Here's what I think the, the gifts, all these different gifts 
that he's given me and you. Our gifts are this. First, they're a means of promoting grace, not promoting you. The, the, the grace of God is something that every single person needs. And, and now whenever you begin to think about it, he's given you a spiritual gift, a superpower, not to make much of yourself, but to make much of Jesus. To give a connection point for people to experience the grace of God through you. As you prophesy and speak forth the word of God, as you uh, teach, they experience the grace of God. As you serve, they experience the grace of God. As you lead, that they would experience the grace of God. You get the difference than if someone leads just to promote themselves and use their superpower versus the perspective shift of this is a means of grace to flood through me. I'm going to lead out in the grace of God. I'm going to serve out with the grace of God. I'm going to extend mercy in the grace of God. That's huge. Gifts are are given by God. They're not earned. They're not genetic. Yeah, you you were wired genetically. You've been given uh, some talents and some abilities. I get that. But what we're talking about here, what Paul's talking about here, he talks about again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, another uh, set of, of some of the spiritual gifts that come uh, sometime after you have a relationship with Jesus. Your superpower comes, it's given to you as a gift. You didn't earn it. And you can't go, I'm better than you because I got this gift instead of that gift. Because you didn't pick it. God gave it to you. It, it's, it should not be a source of pride. Your gift should be a reminder of your need for humility. Because it wasn't just wired in and you didn't deserve it or earn it. It was just given to you. Gifts are given. The, the gifts are, are different. They're not better or worse or unnecessary. We all have these different sorts of gifts. Whatever gift he gave you, find out what it is. He made you for a specific reason and a specific purpose. He's not going to hide it from you. He wants you to find out what it is. He's not going to go, I made you special for a special reason. Guess what it is. He wants you to know. And he made you different. Now, I can tell you right now, different is not just another word for weird. (laughs) He didn't make an experiment on you. Today we try something different. We take a little bit of this and we mix it with some of this. Ooh, gross. God doesn't make gross things. He didn't make any mistakes on you. He's made you unique. He's made you different. I believe wholeheartedly that he put you here to do on earth what nobody else can do. That's why he's put you here. Gifts are also meant to be used. Duh. They're not meant to be shelved or diminished, weakened, watered down. 
Your gifts are meant to be put into action. They're meant to be used. Can you imagine if someone gave you like the, this extravagant gift? I don't know what would be the most extravagant thing you could receive. For me, some sort of Lamborghini. <laughs> and it shows up. Here's your Lamborghini. And I go, oh my goodness, are you kidding? This is amazing. I have a Lamborghini. And I just park it in the driveway. And that's where it stays. Oh, thank you so much for the Lamborghini. It's fantastic. Well, have you taken it out? Have you, what's it like going up to Jerome? Oh, no, I, I, it's still in the driveway. What? That'd be ridiculous. If you got a Lamborghini for free, given to you, and you never drove it, I'm going to come punch you in the throat. <laughs> because that is such a waste of an amazing gift. How much more so of a gift that some of you have in mercy or in encouragement, the gift that some of you have in teaching, the gift that some of you have in, 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 in leading, the gift that some of you have administratively, you name it, they're meant to be used. Yeah, I know your story. I know your background. Forget about that. Your gifts are still meant to be used. Lastly, I believe this wholeheartedly, gifts are enhanced when they're practiced in humility. Your gifts can be couched in pride or your gifts can be couched in humility. If your gifts are couched in pride and arrogance, then they are couched in self-promotion and everything that you are doing is to make much of you. That's not what followers of Jesus do. That's not what the church is about. That is not us. But I believe that any gift that, that God has given you that finds its foundation in humility going, God, thank you for this. I don't deserve it and I didn't earn it. But God, I, I want to put this to use for your glory, your kingdom, not just my own. Then watch out. I have a little confession to make. Um, and this, this will make my point. I, I didn't share it last service and I, because I don't. People ask all the time, can we can you use examples about like what you guys do? Uh, so that we can know how it plays out itself out in action. The, the flip side of that, to talk about what we do, um, can come off arrogant or cocky. Here's the great Christian life that I'm living. But this, this I, I hope, will make not the point of how good I am, but the point I'm really trying to make is when we're just open posture, God here, use my gift, then it's God that like really shows up. Um, was sitting in a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and and surprisingly, not all of our meetings are uh, exciting. <laughs> and uh, this meeting was going on and on and on, and uh, all of a sudden, I I just got hit with this wave of um, 
of just love for you. And um, I believe I have a spiritual gift of mercy or encouragement. And I'm going through this chapter. We started reading this a couple months ago. And all I see here is if you've got the gift, then use it. If you've got the gift, then do it. And so I'm sitting in a meeting and uh, so as to not fall asleep and to obey God, I opened up my laptop and pretended like I was doing something else. But instead, I wrote a letter uh, to you and you and you and you and you. I wrote this letter. I was thinking of you individually, but I wanted it to go out to um, everybody because I felt like uh, God was just saying, people just need to hear today that they're loved. And most people, it won't matter, but for the ones that do, great. And so I wrote the letter sitting in the meeting. I shot it off to our communications department. Normally they put it in kind of a, um, a format that looks like a, a newsletter. So it's obvious that it's coming like from the church to the whole church. This looked like I wrote you personally an email, um, which is awesome. Um, and I didn't mean to crush your spirit this morning, but <laughs> I wrote that to about 2,800 people. Okay. And, uh, you, some of you, you got it. Um, some of you, some of you got it. Um, <laughs> uh, Jenny, this lady on our staff began to, to write some hours later uh, it was blowing up the reception because you couldn't respond directly to the email. It went to our receptionist if you replied, which then made its way uh, to me. And um, 300 people uh, wrote back and we got 80 something prayer requests. And there's no way, there's no way that I would have any, it's just a silly letter. But, but just don't miss the simplicity of, hey, God's wired me to be an encourager. Do it. If you've got the gift of serving, don't overthink it. Do it. you got the gift of leading, find a place to lead if you're not already. Just, just do it. And then the rest, what happens with it, that's just up to God. And I think that's what he's got for us, to continue to create this amazing place for us to all experience more of what Jesus is like together. This is us. I'm so thankful for every single one of you in here, regardless of where you're at in your journey. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, thanks. Thanks for uh, being patient with us. Thanks for... um, gifting us. Forgive me, Lord, for the times where I have shelved the gift or made the gift about me. I pray, Father, that you would continue to stir all of us up to be humble servants, knowing that when we are like that, we're a whole lot like Jesus. Help train us up, teach us up more and more on what it looks like, what it means to be viewing ourselves the way that you view us. And to have a humble posture before you, 
as well. We just take a moment to settle our hearts in response to who you are, the hope that we have in you, the hope that you will work through us, carry us through, or use other people around us to be a blessing to us as we wrap up our time here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.